Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. You know, if we can instead keep trying to find like the plumb line of truth for us and like really gravitate to situations and forms of personal expression that feel right and true to us, we are going to have a more rewarding life and we're going to age better. Hi, my name is Mark Groves, and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts, where I get to explore, alongside you, every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast, is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. Today, I am hosting Dr. Beth McDougall. Welcome. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, I am very pumped to have you here because when I think about this intersection of physics, holistic medicine, and being able to unlock secrets of radical healing, well, I'm curious, how does one go from, I'm going to do medicine, you know, in its traditional route? And I'm curious, when you entered medicine, were you thinking, I'm going to actually also look at physics and the combination of all of these things, the missing keys to, I know your book is on the missing keys to longevity, reversing disease. So I'm curious, like when you began, was that the intention? Yeah, I kind of went into medicine for pretty unusual reasons. Mm -hmm. I had a childhood, well, first of all, I'm even going to back up beyond that. I, when I was as young as I can remember, I felt like I understood the energetic nature of reality. I was, interesting. Really, I was not thinking about that. Yeah, I was. I remember asking, I remember being super disgusted by like power lines, for example, and just how ugly they were and phone lines. And I said to my mom, like, don't people remember, don't people know they can just extract energy from the environment? And wow. she's like, uh, no, you know? So there was like, I had these like pr ideas about, about how we live in this field of infinite energy and everything's derived from it. And then I had a strong remembrance of 
you know, that we could heal anything or heal from anything. So I was always really fascinated with stories of, of unusual healings and, and things like that, because I thought, oh, this person's on to it. Like this person knows what's mm-hmm. really going on. And, and uh, so I then had an, an interesting mentor at a really young age. So I had kind of had these ideas before I met him, but my dad was an artist and this guy was an art collector and he's collected my dad's artwork and then became a family friend. And he was a physician, but also a mystic and a philosopher and oh, cool. a scientist and was very well steeped in kind of sacred geometry and kind of understanding about the consistent patterns in all of creation that repeated themselves from, you know, at the quantum scale and the human body, like all the way up to the astronomical scale and all of that. And, and he was just this incredible man. So he once said to me, you know, if you wish to understand the secrets of the universe, study the human body. Hmm. And that really resonated with who I was. I almost feel like, I don't know what your views are, Mark, about like past lives or any of that stuff. But I kind of felt like we agreed that he was going to come in and be a teacher for me really early on to kind of set me on a path that, you know, not that I wouldn't have found this path without him, but he was very instrumental. And so, so I went into studying med like science, like somebody might study like a religious text or something. Cause I would be looking for the godlike aspects of the beautiful design of our biochemistry and the incredible intricate complexity of our cellular biology. And just those, like, I was so fascinated with the quantum structures and just, just how it, it's so exquisitely complex and gorgeous and it's harmonious and it all works. And it's so much more intricate than we could ever, you know, create ourselves and, and like, no one was like um, as amazed or as in awe of all of this than, than I, <laughs> than I was. And I was always just blown away. And my textbooks would be like, Oh my God, exclamation points, you know, things like that. And, you know, no one else, everyone else was just like, Oh my God, I got to memorize this from the text or whatever. So I went in for very unusual reasons and then um, just got, got into it, got into it. And then I was doing the, I never, wanted to do regular pharmaceutical based like Western medicine. I knew that I was always going to be kind of approaching the human body very holistically. So as I was going through the medical training, I was always like, well, how am I going to be able to accomplish this same thing using something native to the human body or, you know, some energetic signature that's going to have the same effect as this let's say pharmaceutical I'm learning about. And so that was my orientation. And that's, I came out of residency right away into an integrative medical practice in Mm. 1998. Wow. That's like pioneer times of that. Yeah. So I've been on that path ever since. I'm curious, what was sort of the first moment where you took this more integrative energetic approach to healing like you were saying, you know, I wanted to take a look at these cases, these experiences, these disease states and approach them from a different place. And I think for people listening, we're curious about relationships, but relationships, not just in a romantic sense, because 
the relationship we have with other is so also indicative. If we don't have boundaries with other, we probably don't have boundaries with self. So I'm curious in this exploration of our relationship to energetics, healing, et cetera, what was the first experience or maybe a profound one that you were like, oh my gosh, this works or this happened? Okay. That's such a great question because you know, I started off in more on a physical level with people. So it was like, you know, I studied nutritional biochemistry mm-hmm. and and I was kind of working with physical substances to help people. And luckily that that worked very oftentimes because I was probing deeply and, you know, kind of uncovering underpinnings to health that, you know, asking questions that most people weren't asking. And I wasn't mm-hmm. just treating symptoms, but probing and uncovering and resolving and all of that. But then there was just cases that I would have where I wasn't able to fully accomplish what I wanted to accomplish just doing that on a physical level. And I started realizing like, okay, there's so much more to it than just this physical level. There's like, you know, the, the kind of the issues surrounding, let's say, uh, childhood traumas and and the unmetabolized emotions that that might be kind of reverberating in someone's biofield that might be dictating like a disease process or you know something like that so i kind of was kind of running up against some walls with people um and then in 2004 i came down with lyme disease myself oh wow i was i was uh seeing a patient one day this was a couple weeks after I'd been camping and I, I had pulled a little deer tick off my daughter at, on this camping trip. And then I was two weeks later seeing a patient and I all of a sudden couldn't move my hand. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm having a stroke. And then and then I stood up to walk out. My foot wasn't moving correctly. And then my tongue wasn't moving correctly. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm having a stroke. So so then I ended up, like, calling someone to take me to the emergency room. But I drew my blood beforehand before I left. And then I went to this <laughs> multi-thousand-dollar workup in the hospital. And they're like, we don't know what's wrong with you. And then my later, my Lyme test came back. And so that began this really interesting journey for me personally. And I had like a really bad reaction to just treating it on a physical level. Like it just wasn't, I was reaching, it wasn't working and I was so sick. And so then I, I moved into doing a lot of energy work with practitioners and that turned out to be so beneficial for me. And then I started really looking at my emotional response to thoughts that I held about the disease process, about my future, what it was going to hold for me now that I had this. And like, you know, I realized how impactful that was and how I could turn symptom symptomology around on a dime if I could just shift my attitude about things. And, and then I, it was so helpful to be working on these other levels that then that began this journey of just incredible exploration of my own energetic anatomy and understanding that we tend to hold so much in not only our physical bodies, but in our energetic anatomy. And it's, it's, it's like our biography is encoded in there. And then if you develop something like it, like an infectious disease, it's going to go to the areas of your body where you have like holding patterns from this stuck energy that's, and unless you go in and 
kind of excavate that and release that, you're not going to fully be able to address the the infection. At least how that's how it's been for me, and it's, that's how it's been for so many of my patients. And so, so then my healing work to get over a seemingly physical issue involved, yes, support on a physical level, but but working on like under better understanding my own kind of programmed kind of familial and societal beliefs about myself and my emotional responses to those, and then also excavating kind of traumatic experiences and holding patterns around that. So it just was this incredible period of self, of accelerated growth with myself. And then I realized to help people, I had to kind of somehow hold space for others to do the same. I mean, this is such a an unprogramming on so many levels, because I think when people start to wake up to the patterns that they have relationally, which inherently brings them back to looking at their childhood, what they were taught about relationships, what their religion taught them, what culture teaches us, what movies teach us, what media teaches us, like all these rules about how we're supposed to be, what it means to be a boy or a girl, or uh, uh, um, here's the role you take as provider or caretaker or whatever it is. And, and now people are taught, you can't be either of those, you know, like there's no winning. But what's really interesting is that as you undo those layers, you can't help but undo them in every area, you know? So then I think, I was thinking about this the other day. I remember watching uh, that movie Heal. And I remember in it, there was a woman, I think it's a very well-documented case who had stage four cancer. She was dying. She went into like a coma, I believe, and then had a vision where she healed with her father. And then she came out and her cancer cleared up in like record time. And there's tons of cases that you were talking about, like being drawn to radical healings and these experiences. And in it, they, they look at what was the common thing that led to the healing of these people. And I was really fascinated just thinking like, we've agreed to how everything works. Like we agree to how relationships work, how maybe we learn to be boundaryless. Maybe we learn that it's okay to tolerate an alcoholic. Maybe we learn that it's okay to have toxic behaviors ourselves or whatever it is. And then we also agreed what disease means. And I know this might be a leap for someone listening. And imagine if we just didn't agree. Like imagine if, if we're challenging relationship stuff and about self. And like I think about when someone says to you, when you're like, oh, I want to do this. And they're like, oh, well, be careful. Or what happens if you fit? Like their beliefs start to be projected onto us and then they become our own. And then what's possible becomes adopted. And I think the same thing happens uh, you know, on a medical level, on a physiological level, which I'm not minimizing someone's experience of disease or saying it's someone's fault or any of that stuff that I think often gets caught in the conversation about um, disease and, and emotion. Because I think we often inherit these states from the toxicity of our families. And then, gosh, is it ever like digging through the sludge to heal it? So I'm wondering if you could share, what does that bring up for you? And what do you think about what I just said? First of all, I totally agree with you. And I'll, I'll talk about it in a few different ways, because one of the things you said is that we begin to kind of like what what we see around us begins to inform what we believe is possible for ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, so what we're taught, you know, informs what we create, so to speak. And I see that so often now, like with people about aging, you know, like 
because it's so common out there now for people to be putting on weight as they age, for them to lose mental acuity, for them to, to lose vitality, to have like, you know, a dissatisfying sex life, you know, to have so many things. People just think that that's a natural part of aging. And I'm always like, no, <laughs> you know, you got to first see, you've got to challenge that and not let the external inform your sense of what's possible for you and really believe that you can create something different for yourself because that's where it starts. Um, but yes, so much of illness is about unraveling kind of that pre-conscious conditioning and, you know, from our families and from our previous experiences. Or like early childhood experiences and then even later experiences is just so much of what we develop as an illness is to shed light on all of this, these kind of blind spots that are kind of dictating our creation of our own reality for ourselves. And you mentioned boundary invasion. That's such a huge massive of the puzzle for so many of my patients and for myself personally it was like you know if you grew up in an environment where on some level either in an egregious manner or in a like a subtle manner your your boundaries are kind of like repeatedly violated you grow up really thinking that that's normal <laughs> right then and then you become like from an energetic standpoint like if you think about your body has an energetic field that's like an egg that kind of surrounds your whole body if you grow up very familiar with other energy other people's energy in your field then it's the perfect setup later for microorganisms to take hold Interesting. It's a similar, yeah. yeah. If you didn't have that sense of like some foreign energy in your system, you would probably see it immediately and just like deal with it if it happened later on. But it's though if you know if you have a familiarity with that, then you you don't necessarily sense when that happens. So so it's really about gaining a familiarity with what your autonomous uh, vibrational signature is. You know, if you think about you, every person has like a unique energetic signature, it's like a piece of orchestral music that's unique to you and really kind of tuning into what that is so that in contrast, you can become aware of reverberations that are, dissonant, you know, reverberations, which really would be, let's say, the energetic signature of another person or of a, of a microorganism or even of toxins or, or it just dissonant experiences that as you become more in tune with who you are, you can kind of quickly see when things are not in harmony with, with your signature and then actually like release them from your field. Well, it feels as though if you start to really become discerning and mindful of the energy of the people that you bring within your life, because you're talking about, okay, well, if I want to discover, maybe not even discover, if I want to remove the barriers to my own unique energetic expression, that means I have to have boundaries around the invasion of other people's energetics in mind that are making my energetic expression 
similar to theirs. Like I'm being, let's say, brought down, quote, possibly by them. Um, and if we just think about that on a behavioral level, that's like if I am an autonomous being who's meant to self-express and have boundaries and sovereignty over myself, and I allow toxic relational dynamics, then inherently from a behavioral, we would feel heavier or our vitality, right? So we're putting words from energetic signature that might, you know, someone listening might be like energetic signature, but we know the density of toxic choices by us and toxic allowance of others in our life. And I don't think this is reserved just for relational dynamics. I think this is about relationship to substances, relationship to food, really. Like is, let's say I start to clear out my life of relational dynamics and my own behaviors that are bringing me down. I then can't, like, can I then turn towards food and not do the same? Like, I feel like it's the same thing. Like I used to eat, Rickon, I used to crush a spicy chicken combo from Wendy's after I, I don't know if they have those where you're from, but in Canada, we used to crush them after a night of drinking in college. And I mean, if it, the, the, the combo fit the bill for the choices I was making, but then once I really got clear with myself, I, you know, I couldn't have that anymore. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Cause it usually just, unless you're dealing with the root cause of why you're making those choices, it's just going to transfer to something else. Like, like when you think about um, people that have, let's say addiction to alcohol and then they become sober, but they haven't really addressed the underlying reasons that led them to that in the first place, lack of mm-hmm. love and the wounding around the, you know, what led to their, that they might transfer it to over-exercising or under eating or, or overworking or, you know, whatever it is, um, you just have to keep probing up like, well, what's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's a common thing that you see in terms of the impact of dysfunctional relationship on health? Like what is a common sort of uh, maybe physiological or disease pattern? It's really interesting for me to st- to sit on the other side of the desk, so to speak, and then build relationships with someone over the period of years and 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 try to help unravel why they have, let's say, chronic fatigue or why they have, um, you know, even multi-infectious disease, let's say. It and then and then to have them like mention their the kind of dynamics in their relationship kind of over the number of years. And then to, in my mind, ask myself, like, how much is that a factor? Like, how much is that a factor? Um, again, there's something deeper than the relationship that they're choosing that is at the root of why they're choosing that right. relationship. But it's been a really interesting thing over the years. Cause like one thing I know from my own previous relationships and kind of, it's like no one can tell you, you know, that you need to be taking a look at this relationship. No one can kind of tell you, do it for you. Basically. It's like they, all that you can do is just like hold space for someone else to help them arrive at this conclusion themselves, you know, and get like a sense of self and then leave like a toxic relationship and then watch their health just 
fully like snap into place like this, these chronic infections they've been dealing with for years all of a sudden resolve and, and then they have like energy and vitality. And, and then it's been interesting, equally sad to watch someone, for example, drift back into that relationship and then for their health to decline again. But usually that's temporary because usually even the individual can see that that just happened. And then, then they work their way out of it eventually. And then boom, they, but they had to go through the back and the forth in order to really learn what they needed to learn. Yeah. It's interesting how once you are aware of a productive behavior that you can never pretend you don't know it, you know, right. <laughs> like you could try, you could try to wash it down with tequila, but it's, you end up washed up on a shore where you got to awaken eventually to the possibility or the potential that we have. And I think that's such at the core of those choices to enter, let's say, deeper into a pattern that's destructive is that we don't know how to hold the grief of not choosing our potential. As opposed to that grief isn't about shame, right? Like that, that grief is about well, it's now's time. Now's time. Like use that. What do you see from an environmental perspective? Because you've been in practice for, you know, a long time now. And how do you see the shifting of uh, the nutrition content of our food? I mean, there's so much that's going on in our media, social media. Like, do you see all these impacting what you're noticing in your clinics? Ah, uh, sadly so. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, doing this now for 25 years and I'm seeing people sicker than they've ever been. Mm. And it's just, it's interesting. Like the, the new patients are coming in with much more complex and, and uh, difficult to unravel conditions. But, and I think it's the factor of all the things you just mentioned. It's, it's the demineralization of our food supply. It's the glyphosate in the food supply The that's, disrupting our microbiomes. It's the micro, it's the leaky gut that ensues. It's the, it's the disconnection with nature and how people are now spending so much time on screens and no longer kind of hooked into the circadian rhythm of the, of the, of the planet and not spending as much time like face to face in relationship, but more in this kind of distant, like like superficial interaction that we're seeing on social media and the list goes on and on and on, you know, the stressors of the chemicals and the environment and then electromagnetic stress and, and um, the overworking and the financial stressors and all of that, let alone, you know, what we've been just seeing in the last few years. And so, yeah. Well, the stress on the organism in the last few years, just from a relational perspective of ideological differences. And, you know, we're at a point where an ideological difference means the end of a relationship, where before it meant the deepening of one, a curiosity. It shows you how fragile our ideologies are when, you know, someone votes for someone else and now we can't talk to them as opposed to, I'm like. Today's episode is brought to you by Mana. Now, look, we all know it's pretty much impossible to get everything we need nutritionally from diet alone today. And that's due to a lot of the farming practices, fertilizers, all that stuff. And even though we might have a healthy and varied diet, we still may not get all the minerals and nutrients that we need. This product, Mana, which I love, 
solves this problem through their all-in-one supplement that's made entirely from nature. It combines the wisdom and practice of ancient medicine with modern-day science and innovation. It combines some of the highest quality minerals, amino, fulvic, and humic acids, and nutrients gathered from some of the highest and lowest points on the planet, the mountains and the sea all to provide a comprehensive enhanced mineral matrix. Now the two main active ingredients in mana are shilajit and ocean plasma. One is black, one is white, one is plant-based, and one is ocean-based, yin and yang. Now shilajit is a natural substance. It's found mainly in the Himalayas. It's been used in Ayurvedic medicine for 5,000 years to help maintain equilibrium in the body. Clinical studies have shown that shilajit has been proven to increase strength, endurance, and prevent illness. Now, ormus, or ocean plasma, has many regenerative and healing properties and has been used for thousands of years. The benefits of mana are insane. Shilajit and ormus, in addition to fulvic and humic acid, marine minerals, amino acids, protein, nootropics, triterpenes, magnesium, potassium, sulfur, calcium, sodium, and 88 trace minerals, they can help boost cognitive function, improve focus and memory, boost energy levels, provide fast recovery post-workout, enhance your libido and stamina, support testosterone production, and enhance immunity. The list obviously goes on and on. So I've been taking mana every day for the last three months now. I love it. I've been actually noticed an increase in not just my energy levels, but also I have an aura ring and I've been tracking my HRV and my HRV has gone up in the last three months significantly by an average of 20 points. And that's even though we've just had a kid, which is crazy. So if this all sounds like you want to try it, which I'm guessing it does, and you're looking to supercharge your body, restore balance with this all-in-one solution, check out Mana. Visit manavitality.com. That's M-A-N-N-A-V-I-T-A-L-Y-T-Y.com. Use the code MARK20 for 20% off. Go get it now, manavitality.com. If you haven't heard me talk about Cozy Earth Sheets before, let me tell you, I'm about to introduce you to the greatest sheets you will ever have touch your body. Anytime someone comes to our house and stays in our guest room, they always want to know what is the bed situation. What are the sheets that we have? Their sheets, their comforters, their duvets, everything is magic. Their bedding is naturally breathable. It's temperature regulating. It's so damn soft. It's ethically sourced viscose from bamboo. It's incredible. And the brand was featured on Oprah's favorite things but before that it was featured on Mark's favorite things like I discovered this brand years ago before I ever even chatted with them about being a sponsor for the podcast and because I love their product so much I asked for an exclusive offer for you and you get 40% off site-wide and now they have pajamas they have like loungewear so not only do you get to wrap yourself in the experience of the sheets as clothing but you then get to get into the bed in that so you're like double wrapped and so all you got to do to save 40% off site-wide is use the code groves at checkout so just my last name g-r-o-v-e-s so go to cozyearth.com C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H dot com and use the code Groves and you get 40% off all their products. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting too about what you're saying is the complexity of our world, you know, we've advanced so much from a technological perspective that our physiology has not had time to adapt. And, you know, it's, I look at just since 2000 and I think it's like seven since Facebook came in something like that. And I think of how different I felt in college with a cell phone that could only call, you know, and no one texted. I remember my cousin texted me when I was in Ireland and I was like, why don't you just call? That's so dumb. And meanwhile, you know, now most people only text. I think it's interesting though, that I think we know on a feeling level, we know that technology is overwhelming us, but then 
like another level we're denying it you know we don't we've never felt so anxious we've never felt so many different complexities in terms of stress and we're like i wonder why it's just to me it's just so obvious right and it's probably not going anywhere so we have to just figure out like how to be in good relationship with it and then how to antidote it so to speak yeah that's i think like you know we left off just talking about some pretty depressing things but there's so much we can do you know like to reestablish our connection with the earth and with nature and with our circadian rhythms which then very much influence our circadian rhythms and our sleep-wake cycles and like the cyclical hormone release that is important for our energy and vitality and mood and our ability to show up and be present in relationship and be our best selves and all of that there's a there's just a lot we can do to kind of antidote all of this well i think that's so important what you're talking about because yes of course we were just like uh let's bring hope back uh What's interesting too is you see this correlation of environmental stress, um, food stress on fertility, hormone production. You see it on all of this type of stuff where, I mean, I'm not giving anyone any newsflash, like fertility levels, sperm levels, they're all down. And that should be terrifying. Like the data presented on male sperm levels is crazy. If it keeps going the way it's going, it ain't good. And I mean, it ain't good now. But like humans usually wait till it's the end to begin, let's not, let's do now. So what are some of the things that we can do? And I know that you're a co-founder of the company Mana, and I've been very fascinated by products like Shilajit. And I know it actually goes beyond Shilajit, the product that you guys have. Uh, And I'm curious about it because I think for a lot of us, we have a desperate desire to be with nature. We have a desperate desire. I think it shows up as anxiety on a screen is a good sign that you need to be beside a tree or you need to um, take in a more nutrient-dense diet, et cetera. So yeah, maybe you could speak to how we can <laughs> help us. Just to address the the male sperm count, there's phenomenal data on Shilajit increasing male sperm counts. Oh, really? Yeah. Shit. Uh, as well as testosterone levels and both luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone, which are both important for the production of, of testosterone and secretion of testosterone. So the, like what I love about Shilaji as I don't know if anyone, if everyone in our audience knows what it is, but probably not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a resin that seeps out of the earth at certain elevations and, like we get ours from a narrow chasm in the Himalayas and it seeps out of the earth at certain times of the year. And at one point before land masses moved together and formed the mountain range, the, the area of the Himalayas was once a rainforest. Hmm. And so what we, what we have seeping out of the earth is like decayed vegetable matter, basically. And also bacteria and whatnot that that over time have been able to kind of solubilize and like break down rock minerals and produce fulvic acid and humic acids, which are the most bioavailable source of minerals that we know of and that allow them to both get absorbed and then to improve the intracellular uh, mineral levels inside of our cells. And what's, what's neat is that that 
historically, shilajit has been seen as this substance that promotes strength and longevity and virility and and vitality. And now in the modern day, people are doing studies to kind of validate these historical observations. And I'm telling you, every time I read a study, it kind of blows my mind now. You know, I've been following this for quite some time, but even today I read a couple new studies on Shilajit that was like, wow, I got to do a little post on this. It's mind blowing, you know, but, but it's been, it's been shown to really improve male hormone level, testosterone levels and female testosterone levels, as well as the sperm counts in men and fertility in women. But today I was reading also about its effects on reducing our risk for Alzheimer's. And like at the basis, like kind of like the pathology that underlies Alzheimer's, you get these tangles these of, of tau protein in the neurons that begin to gum up nerve cell function. And you get this kind of tangle of a different protein outside of the neurons called, that forms beta amyloid plaques. And... I was just reading some in vitro studies today that shilajit and then that one of the predominant active components of shilajit, fulvic acid, both reduce the agglomeration or like the, the tendency of these proteins to kind of clump together and can start to de-aggregate them if they have clumped together. Wow. I was just like, oh my God. And it kind of brings us back to the physics, so to speak, I think, because what when you when you have minerals coming in in this readily absorbable form, it it ends up changing the electric charge on the cell. So the the minerals enter the cell and change the kind of what we call cell membrane potential, like the charge inside the cell versus out, and that differential. And ideally, you want to have a negative cell membrane potential. And the more negative the cell membrane potential is within a certain bound, um, the healthier the cell is. And minerals are vital for that. This is interesting because I've been thinking a lot about how when people go through transformations and they, let's say, bring boundaries into their life. It takes a bit for that to actually impact their self-worth. And what I mean by that is the feedback loop of a boundary, first you got to choose to have one. And then when you finally express it, you feel terrified and great. And then the consequence of that is you might actually have grief because a relationship is lost, but there's an experience of self and self-trust and security for the first time. And the reason I think changing nutrition and relationship to food and body first is because there's there's immediate feedback that when you make a good choice nutritionally or you restore the mineral content let's say of your body you actually experience pretty much immediate feedback you start to feel better pretty much right away right and that's why i think there's no life change that can occur uh in one area, like it must be all. And I think a good place to start is somewhere like restoring the nutrient density of your body, because then your body's like, well, I feel great. I can't be in this thing on the external. They should do some research on Shilajit and boundaries. 
Oh my gosh, that's such a cool idea. God, there's so much I could say around that. Like, because first of all, a lot of times when someone comes in and they have a really complex health problem that obviously has like a kind of psycho-spiritual kind of energetic component to it, if you're really depleted, you can't really dig into that and deal with that yet. Right. So if you can kind of like support them on a physical level so that they have like almost enough energy to bring their head up above the ground, you know, then they can start to look at this stuff and kind of even contemplate dealing with it. And so there's that. And then the other thing that that you made me think of is that when you remineralize the body and you optimize that cell membrane potential, it literally, it creates almost like a force field, like an orc field of the cell. Like the more negative the cell membrane potential is, the stronger the force field of the cell is. And then it becomes less vulnerable to invasion by microorganisms, for example. Wow. So it's it's the ty- same type of thing. Like the more work you do kind of on your own system, fortifying your own auric field, the less vulnerable you are to invasion by other people, because you're quickly going to see if it's about to happen. <laughs> you can you can almost sense it before it happens. Yeah, it's interesting that what occurs on a cellular level occurs on a level of the being, which makes sense. Yeah, it does. Like as above, so below really holds true. Yeah, it's kind of like if you all of a sudden create some sweet ass boundaries in your life, then your body has the time to heal. It goes from being in fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and extra vigilance to being in a state of rest and digest. And it only makes sense that then your cells, if you're giving them nutrients, are like, oh, we're going to do the same thing in here. And then the blocks, as you said, as above, so below. I love that saying. It's it's so true. So I'm curious, the what else is in Shilajit or in the product from Mana that is helpful for the restoration of that? The fulvic acid and humic acids, and then the best, you know, all of the minerals that are in the human body are in the preparation and then amino acids as well. And then probiotics. So it's just, it's got, it's a multifactorial kind of blend of, of, of substances that are harmonious with our body and the energetic charge of it is incredibly high. So what I find and what a lot of people report is it allows the the energetic conduction of information and energy through the body to facilitate unimpeded. So you've just, the, the energy transfers more effortlessly throughout the body. Does that, because when you talk about, and I think people are very interested in this, about aging and the process of aging and vitality, and you, we were talking a bit about the correlation of you know, vitality in our relationships to vitality in our bodies. You know, I, I remember seeing this picture of like a one woman in her seventies and she looks like an old, you know, permed grandma. And then you got another woman in her seventies and she's like jacked. And I, that picture is so profound because you're just like, oh yeah, those are, they're the same age, but one is experiencing a completely different life. Right. What are the top things for the people listening that we can do to get our vitality back or, or magnify our vitality and be protective against um, aging? Oh my gosh. So 
Okay, we age because our mitochondria age. Yeah, and I, but for people listening, like our telomeres, all that kind of stuff, yeah, if you could explain it to people, I think that'd be very helpful. Yeah, so they're the little energy factories within our cells. And we've got 37 trillion cells, and the number of mitochondria, which are like little intracellular organelles, varies from cell type to cell type based on the metabolic demands of that cell type, but vary from like hundreds to tens of thousands. So we have 37 trillion cells with thousands of mitochondria each. And the mitochondria take oxygen that we breathe and glucose from our food and run them through a series of chemical steps to produce ATP. And ATP is like the energy currency of the body that fuels all the biochemical reactions and everything. So you can imagine that our health is directly proportional to how much energy our cells can generate. Because then collectively, it's how much energy our bodies can generate and how much energy is at our disposal to kind of efficiently run our physiology. And so the Shilajit product is important for improving the health of the mitochondria. So that's one thing. And, you know, not only is it providing the minerals that improve the charge of the membrane, but it it supplies some factors that enhance the production of ATP. And there's been lots of studies on that. So it's improving the health of the mitochondria. So that's one thing. But there are so many other things we've already kind of touched on here that are important for the health of the mitochondria. Like one is our connection to the, the diurnal cycles of the, of the earth. So for example, there's some really good new research that shows that if you go outside in the morning and expose yourself to the wavelengths of light that predominate shortly after the sun kind of crests the horizon, your, those wavelengths will enter through your eyes and through your skin, and they are incredibly beneficial for the health of your mitochondria. They will actually cause the mitochondria to make melatonin, which is interesting. This is new science where the majority of the melatonin made in the body is made by the mitochondria at all times of day, as opposed to just that which is made by the pineal gland while you're sleeping at night. So the, the melatonin acts like an antioxidant that is protective to the mitochondria. It's also true that the wavelengths of light in the, in the infrared spectrum that predominate in the first part of the day will structure the water that your mitochondria also produces in, as part of its metabolism. So when the mitochondria are making ATP, the mitochondria also makes water molecules. Mm. And the infrared light that comes in in the morning helps to structure the water, kind of make it more of like a crystalline lattice type structure that then pushes the enzymes in the mitochondria together so they can better, more efficiently make ATP. And then when you're, the other thing you can do is be barefoot on the ground in the morning or at any time of day, because we used to spend a lot of time on the earth. Like, you know, we slept on the earth, we sat on the earth, we, you know, walked barefoot or just with leather on our feet. We didn't have rubber soled shoes. So we used to absorb a lot of electrons through our skin in a very rapid amount of time. Like the electrons just pour in your body and they are also involved in creating that membrane potential in our cells that I was talking about. 
So, so spending time barefoot outside body on the earth with sun in your eyes, like sun on your skin is so, so important that really enhances our longevity. And when you do it, it also just like optimizes our circadian rhythm. So that like we now know, and there's so much data on sleep and the quality of our sleep. And if we have good quality sleep, we're going to be at we're going to have better body composition. We're going to have more longevity. We're going to have lower risk for cognitive decline. We're going to have stronger immune systems and all of, you know, there's so much data now. But if you go outside in the morning and it tells your body like, oh, it's morning, then it's much easier for you to wind down at night, particularly if you reduce your exposure to artificial light at night. So that's kind of you know, we can get in right relationship with the technology that we're all interacting with, where we're not doing it at times of the day or in the evening when it's throwing off your kind of natural circadian rhythm. This seems like something all of us need to begin to do because I would imagine 99% of people, maybe higher, which that's aggressive, uh, wake up and check their phone. And don't actually go outside and look at the light. They get in their car, maybe in a garage. Yeah. And then drive to work. If people still drive to work, I don't know, maybe not. But they like go to work and then they get out and then they are in an office and they miss the initial cues that the body requires. I mean, I remember as a kid laying in the grass and looking at the clouds and the trees. And I don't, I think technology, I don't want to, I would imagine that occurs somewhat less for kids. Like when we're educated about these things, these simple things we can do, because I think we forget because there's so much technology that we are biological. Yeah. That, you know, that we can actually maximize our cell function. We can actually maximize uh, hormone production, that we can bring our body back in. Like if we're feeling anxious, depressed, all those things, nature is a great answer getting up, looking at the sun, going for a workout. All these things are like tried and true, definitely like moving your body is one of the number one things you can do. I think it's like algorithmically way higher than most inter- than all interventions, exercise and build, putting on muscle mass. Right? Absolutely. I mean, muscle mass is like the currency of longevity. And and exercise, like you said, has been shown to be more effective than medication for mood disorder, has been shown to be more effective than medications for cardiovascular disease, for diabetes, you know, for so many things. So it's just absolutely one of the most important things that we can do. You know, the basics, it's like connect with earth, maximize your sleep quality, exercise, move your body, be really mindful of what you're putting in your body from the standpoint of, you know, foods that have a high kind of life force quotient and that are free of fillers and additives and preservatives and chemicals and things like that. You know, I talk about this concept of your pristine blueprint in my book, Your Pristine Blueprint. <laughs> and it's really about that, that at the time of our conception, there's an information field that forms that really guides our development as an embryo, as we're developing, and then our growth and our physiology orchestrates our complex physiology as we go through life, which is so much more complex than we can even imagine when you have like millions of chemical reactions happening in 
each of our 37 trillion cells every second in a coordinated manner. Like that's just like, we don't have the science to really explain how that's happening at this point in our understanding. And when we go through life, if we can really be in tune with our, our self and our unique signature, that's kind of like our resonance with this field of information. That's like our unique code, our unique, like, operating instruction, so to speak. And if we can reduce our accumulation of dissonant signatures, like from this energetic signatures of toxins and, you know, traumatic experiences and and the unmetabolized emotions and, you know, dissonant people that we've chosen to interact with. And, you know, if we can instead, you know, really kind of keep trying to find like the plumb line of truth for us and like, you know, really, really gravitate to situations and forms of personal expression that feel right and true to us, we are going to have a more rewarding life and we're going to age better because we're going to not be interfering with this seamless interaction with our blueprint. I mean, we could literally just create a checklist and say, does this feel energetically aligned or not? Like, and it has to be binary. It can't be like at a scale of one to 10, it either is or isn't. I have a friend who once said that all choices are pro-life or pro-death. And I was like, whoa, that is, that hits you. Have you seen those calendars that you can buy that are like the weeks of your life and you check off each week? And so let's say the average age is you're, you're expecting to die at 84. And so every week you check off and it's this like very literal I know. So powerful. I'm yeah. living each day like it's our last on the planet, right? Each moment. And you know, if we keep going the way we're going in terms of the type of food we're consuming, the type of media we're consuming, the type of relationships we often sort of are born into operating in, we are fucked. But if we decide that it's enough and we're like, you know what? Actually, not for me. And that. That is the moment that sovereignty is born when we're like, no, I'm not going to sign up for how our family did it or how my community does it. Like, I'm going to sign up for what are my values? What's the life I want to live? And that's when, when I see someone stand in that level of power, I mean, I can, I know so many people who the moment they chose to step into that fire, things that they've been dealing with mysteriously for their whole lives are like, Oh, that IBS I had, that eczema I had, that whatever it is starts to lift. And they're like, oh, that's my shoulder pain. That was mysterious, you know? I, I've seen the exact same thing, that standing in your power, standing in your truth, finding your dharma, like your form of personal expression. Yeah. It's like everything else just falls away. I almost feel like it kind of clicks you so in your center that all of a sudden the infinite potential of the universe is kind of like at your disposal and your energetic vibration raises so high that it transmutes the dissonance that was dictating the development of these, these health problems. Like I've seen people's health just transform on a dime when they make that decision, as you say. Yeah. It's amazing when someone goes, cause I see those patterns in codependency, you know, when people are codependent, when they're like, abandoning self for whatever, as soon as they reclaim self, it's like the light enters, the sun rises, you know, pun on the behavior changes too. Yeah. I also noticed when I started to take um, 
mana every day, uh, which for you guys watching, that's what it looks like. <laughs> um, when I started to take it every day, I track my heart rate variability. And I, I had a son at the same time that I was taking it every day. I was like right pre-birth. And normally it was hovering anywhere from like 30 to 45. I started taking mana every day. And it's shot up to 60, 70, 80. And I got to say, I don't even know that it's dropped to 40 in the last, I'll have to look, but I'm almost certain that it hasn't dropped to 40 since. Um, and I've had some disrupted sleep nights. I've been working out lots. And I know HRV is somewhat, you know, of a, it, it is an indicator though of uh, vagal nerve tone, of, of nervous system rest. And I was surprised. I was like, wow. So what can people notice in terms of maybe how they'll feel energetically uh, if they start supplementing it? I know you don't have any data on HRV, but <laughs> let me be the one guinea pig. I, I think that'd be an interesting study to, to do. But what, what subjectively people will often feel is just clicked on, like more energy, more vitality, more libido, and... Um, more mental acuity, like, like where their brain is just like on point. And then I've had the experience now of working with lots of patients. It's really helpful for memory in like older adults that are losing their memory a little bit. It's really helpful for um, the integrity. Uh, then there's great studies on this of the skin. There's like, wow. like there's a whole area of aesthetic research on Shilajit because it's been some people have subjected themselves to skin biopsies and before and after taking Shilajit, you know, in, in studies. And it's, it upregulates the, the cells that make collagen. So oh, wow. it actually improves the, 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 the synthesis of collagen. And then I just read a study where it improves the, the, the blood perfusion to the skin. So it improves like the vascularity of the skin. So you're delivering nutrients to the skin. So it retains their, its luster and, you know, reduces the aging. Um, and it's been shown to help collagen production, not only in the skin, but in the ligaments, the tendons, the, the bones and the muscles. Like it's actually, there's a ton of data on osteoporosis and wow. And how it can, it, it also, there's actually a really good study I read about stem cell, like conversion into osteoblasts that produce like bony matrix and all of mm -hmm. that. And then people have done, subjected themselves to muscle biopsies, believe it or not, where you're looking at. God bless these people. Can you imagine that? Like, no, thanks. Won't sign up for that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, you know, so, so again, like kind of that. The, 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 at a cellular level, the kind of the muscle is looking healthier. And then there's been a lot of studies that are looking at like time to fatigue, you know, when you're against a load, um, there have read a study a while just recently about like a large number of men, like 64 men or something that were doing a particular exercise and like looking at time to exhaustion of this repetitive exercise before taking Shilajit and then after and, and seeing like the, the time to fatigue was much, much higher. Um, that speaks to the ATP sort of part of that. That's totally, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then really good studies looking at hormone 
levels, you know, in men, um, in particular men, not as many studies on women, uh, but, you know, at, at like 30, 60, 90 days of taking it. So a lot of times males and females will say, my libido is so much better. I, and it also, what I've heard more than more than a few times is the feeling of like a pheromones being emitted that like, <laughs> or you're just like attracting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a new type of cologne. Yeah. cologne. Yeah. And it doesn't smell very good, you know? No, like you wouldn't think this is going to come out of my pores as hotness. <laughs> no. you, know? you would not. No, it's um, an acquired taste and smell for sure. It makes sense though, that if you restore the minerals of the body, that the body will start to move more efficiently and produce more efficiently. Like all these yeah. things that we do environmentally and emotionally that deplete us, you know, the cost of high cortisol states, the cost of, you know, correlating to high stress environments, eating foods that are processed and not great, you know, that it makes sense that if you take I believe it is the most nutrient-dense supplement. Is that correct? I think so. And we'll make sure that we reference out all the studies that you shared. And I always think of trying to go as upstream as possible. And, and you know, when you're looking at hormone balance, for example, very, very important level to be working on with people. But there's something upstream from that of like, if you're having hormonal deficiency, well, why is that? And, and a lot of times, even from like, again, kind of staying on a physical level, but like a biophysics level, right. it's the energy in the cell that's making the the hormone. So, so like the mitochondrial energy production kind of trumps the, or is the preceding fundamental factor that, that dictates the amount of hormone that a cell type can make. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're saying that what shows up in a blood panel is a symptom, but we have to get to the very upstream cause. And it makes sense that if you start at the baseline of the mitochondria, and we could even argue at the further upstream, untouchable, uh, energetic space. Completely, because yeah. then you're, you, you know, my view is, and this is what I came in with, and like as a young person before I could even, you know, as early as I can remember, it was just that we live in a field of infinite energy. And, and this potent field, not only do we live within it, but it lives within us. And then we and all of the material world emerges from this field. And not only that, like we emerge from the field, but we're really only intersecting waves of energy at the, you know, at the end of the day. And we're here and we're forming and annihilating trillions of times a second weird to think about right like right, like going back that far and looking at like the kind of ephemeral nature of the physical reality that we're part of like you can start to see like okay we can really understand how to affect change at a at a, at a, a subtler and subtler level and so what's dictating this multicellular organism that's forming and annihilating trillions of times a second and kind of appearing to be you know, this static form. Yeah, it's coming together as a norm, but it's like literally changing constantly, dying and being born. Dying and being reborn. And it's waves of energy. Well, it's the information set. And so if we can retain a pristine, uncontaminated information set and we're, we're, we, we remain in seamless relationship to this 
field of infinite energy from which we are derived, then our, there's no reason that we have to age. There's no reason why we mm. have, to have disease. To me, this is like just revitalizing that, that exploration of when you ask yourself, what is existence? What does it mean to be alive? Why are we here? How does the universe work? We get lost in the dissonance of the unknown, and then we stop there. We stop there because it's too terrifying to think like, I'm going to die. One day I'm not going to be able to think and love and breathe and experience a tree. Like, fuck my phone. Like, <laughs> I can go hang out in a rainforest or go into a desert or look into the eyes of another, you know? And I think when we can be with that, then we can be with this mystery that you're talking about, which it will allow us to think about things in, at this level, at this level that is terrifying to think about. And I think the beauty and arrogance of humanity, the beauty of medicine and the arrogance of it, is that we think we know how it fucking works. And that is the same thing we think about relationships. Like, here's what you're handed. Here's what religion is. Here's what God is. Here's what relationship is. And if you accept it, you live in the box of the beliefs. And I still don't know what this means, you know, what I'm saying, like to fully exit it because I find myself getting caught in the fear of media or getting caught in, but then I find myself in a rainforest or in a conversation like this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I get to make the rules. Oh wow. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> like, yes. Why do I agree to some of these things then? Oh my gosh. So let's just restructure all of the universe, which I guess we're doing all the time anyways. Because if you believe that everyone's out to get you or the world, everything you see will be that. And your body will be like, everything's out to get us. I guess we might as well just collapse. Yeah. Am I making sense? I don't even know. Totally, you're making sense. And you also made me think about something else, which is where, you know, you're deep diving into the fabric of relationships and I'm deep diving into the fabric of health and problem in a relationship or a problem with the health is just kind of like a portal really into yeah. the deeper truth of who we are, you know, and if you really kind of like see a health crisis as an opportunity, or you see a problem in a relationship as, as this beautiful opportunity for growth and for liberation and for, you know, liberation. Yeah. The opportunity to become something so much bigger than you are or that, the, that you believed you are, I guess is, is, is the thing. And like, if you see a health crisis as this opportunity to become so much more than what you thought you were, like. That's, it, that's it. it. That's why my mentor said, like, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, study the human body. And I think the same could be said of yeah, human relationships or nature or any kind of like natural human process, biology or biochemistry, whatever. You know, if you're, if you're kind of coming at it from the right perspective, that's like the truths are all in there. Amen. It's like those are, all, I love that you said opportunity for liberation, because for me, that is the friction of relationship, the friction of life is showing you where things are still sticky. It's showing you where you're not yet liberated from your patterns, from your thoughts, from what you've inherited. Yes. And what an opportunity. Well, Dr. Beth McDougall, if you have a mic, drop it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this has been such 
a, a beautiful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I need to have you back on to go into the complexities of the physics and the physical. Again, I, I, I love it. I think we'll have to take some questions from the audience and go real deep. And uh, maybe everyone can eat mushrooms and we'll just see where we end up. Um, that would be fun. I would. Love yeah, would. Uh, where can people find more of you? And we'll make sure that for you listening, we'll make sure we link everything in the show notes that we talked about, all the references. And uh, yeah, where can they find more of you? They can find more of me on bethmcdougallmd.com, jison.com, which is my bio-optimization center and on, on social media. Perfect. We'll link all that out. And where can they find um, the Sheila G product? Uh, monavitality.com. Perfect. M-A-N-N-A vitality.com. Right. Perfect. Everyone listening, mm-hmm. we'll make sure that we have a discount code in the show notes for Mana because uh, I'm sure everyone is excited to try it out. Yeah. Dr. Beth McDougall, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Mark. It was so fun. Mm-hmm.